section six of the complete works of friedrich nietzsche volume three this librivox recording is in the public domain third lecture delivered on the twenty seventh of february eighteen seventy two ladies and gentlemen at the close of my last lecture the conversation to which i was a listener and the outlines of which as i clearly recollect them i am now trying to lay before you was interrupted by a long and solemn pause both the philosopher and his companion sat silent sunk in deep dejection the peculiarly critical state of that important educational institution the german public school lay upon their souls like a heavy burden which one single well-meaning individual is not strong enough to remove and the multitude though strong not well-meaning enough our solitary thinkers were perturbed by two facts by clearly perceiving on the one hand that what might rightly be called classical education was now only a far-off ideal a castle in the air which could not possibly be built as a reality on the foundations of our present educational system and that on the other hand what was now with customary and unopposed euphemism pointed to as classical education could only claim the value of a pretentious illusion the best effect of which was that the expression classical education still lived on and had not yet lost its pathetic sound these two worthy men saw clearly by the system of instruction in vogue that the time was not yet ripe for a higher culture a culture founded upon that of the ancients the neglected state of linguistic instruction the forcing of students into learned historical paths instead of giving them a practical training the connection of certain practices encouraged in the public schools with the objectionable spirit of our journalistic publicity all these easily perceptible phenomena of the teaching of german led to the painful certainty that the most beneficial of those forces which have come down to us from classical antiquity are not yet known in our public schools forces which would train students for the struggle against the barbarism of the present age and which will perhaps once more transform the public schools into the arsenals and workshops of this struggle on the other hand it would seem in the meantime as if the spirit of antiquity in its fundamental principles had already been driven away from the portals of the public schools and as if here also the gates were thrown open as widely as possible to the bee-flattered and pampered type of our present self-styled german culture and if the solitary talkers caught a glimpse of a single ray of hope it was that things have to become still worse that what was as yet divined only by the few 
would soon be clearly perceived by the many and that then the time for honest and resolute men for the earnest consideration of the scope of the education of the masses would not be far distant after a few minutes silent reflection the philosopher's companion turned to him and said you used to hold out hopes to me but now you have done more you have widened my intelligence and with it my strength and courage now indeed can i look on the field of battle with more hardihood now indeed do i repent of my too hasty flight we want nothing for ourselves and it should be nothing to us how many individuals may fall in this battle or whether we ourselves may be among the first just because we take this matter so seriously we should not take our own poor selves so seriously at the very moment we are falling some one else will grasp the banner of our faith i will not even consider whether i am strong enough for such a fight whether i can offer sufficient resistance it may even be an honourable death to fall to the accompaniment of the mocking laughter of such enemies whose seriousness has frequently seemed to us to be something ridiculous when i think how my contemporaries prepared themselves for the highest posts in the scholastic profession as i myself have done then i know how we often laughed at the exact contrary and grew serious over something quite different now my friend interrupted the philosopher laughingly you speak as one who would fain dive into the water without being able to swim and who fears something even more than the mere drowning not being drowned but laughed at but being laughed at should be the very last thing for us to dread for we are in a sphere where there are too many truths to tell too many formidable painful unpardonable truths for us to escape hatred and only fury here and there will give rise to some sort of embarrassed laughter just think of the innumerable crowd of teachers who in all good faith have assimilated the system of education which has prevailed up to the present that they may cheerfully and without overmuch deliberation carry it further on what do you think it will seem like to these men when they hear of projects from which they are excluded beneficio naturae of commands which their mediocre abilities are totally unable to carry out of hopes which find no echo in them of battles the war cries of which they do not understand and in the fighting of which they can take part only as dull and obtuse rank and file but without exaggeration that must necessarily be the position of practically all the teachers in our higher educational establishments and indeed we cannot wonder at this when we consider how such a teacher originates how he becomes a teacher of such high status such a large number of higher educational establishments are now to be found everywhere that far more teachers will continue to be required for them than the nature of even a highly gifted people can produce 
and thus an inordinate stream of undesirables flows into these institutions who however by their preponderating numbers and their instinct of similis simile gaudet gradually come to determine the nature of these institutions there may be a few people hopelessly unfamiliar with pedagogical matters who believe that our present profusion of public schools and teachers which is manifestly out of all proportion can be changed into a real profusion an ubertus ingenii merely by a few rules and regulations and without any reduction in the number of these institutions but we may surely be unanimous in recognizing that by the very nature of things only an exceedingly small number of people are destined for a true course of education and that a much smaller number of higher educational establishments would suffice for their further development but that in view of the present large numbers of educational institutions those for whom in general such institutions ought only to be established must feel themselves to be the least facilitated in their progress the same holds good in regard to teachers it is precisely the best teachers those who generally speaking judged by a high standard are worthy of this honourable name who are now perhaps the least fitted in view of the present standing of our public schools for the education of these unselected youths huddled together in a confused heap but who must rather to a certain extent keep hidden from them the best they could give and on the other hand by far the larger number of these teachers feel themselves quite at home in these institutions as their moderate abilities stand in a kind of harmonious relationship to the dullness of their pupils it is from this majority that we hear the ever resounding call for the establishment of new public schools and higher educational institutions we are living in an age which by ringing the changes on its deafening and continual cry would certainly give one the impression that there was an unprecedented thirst for culture which eagerly sought to be quenched but it is just at this point that one should learn to hear aright it is here without being disconcerted by the thundering noise of the education mongers that we must confront those who talk so tirelessly about the educational necessities of their time then we should meet with a strange disillusionment one which we my good friend have often met with those blatant heralds of educational needs when examined at close quarters are suddenly seen to be transformed into zealous yea fanatical opponents of true culture that is all those who hold fast to the aristocratic nature of the mind for at bottom they regard as their goal the emancipation of the masses from the mastery of the great few they seek to overthrow the most sacred hierarchy in the kingdom of the intellect the servitude of the masses their submissive obedience their instinct of loyalty to the rule of genius i have long accustomed myself to look with caution upon those who are ardent in the cause of the so-called education of the people in the common meaning of the phrase 
since for the most part they desire for themselves consciously or unconsciously absolutely unlimited freedom which must inevitably degenerate into something resembling the saturnalia of barbaric times and which the sacred hierarchy of nature will never grant them they were born to serve and to obey and every moment in which their limping or crawling or broken-winded thoughts or at work shows us clearly out of which clay nature moulded them and what trademark she branded thereon the education of the masses cannot therefore be our aim but rather the education of a few picked men for great and lasting works we well know that a just posterity judges the collective intellectual state of a time only by those few great and lonely figures of the period and gives its decision in accordance with the manner in which they are recognized encouraged and honored or on the other hand in which they are snubbed elbowed aside and kept down what is called the education of the masses cannot be accomplished except with difficulty and even if a system of universal compulsory education be applied they can only be reached outwardly those individual lower levels where generally speaking the masses come into contact with culture where the people nourishes its religious instinct where it poetizes its mythological images where it keeps up its faith in its customs privileges native soil and language all these levels can scarcely be reached by direct means and in any case only by violent demolition and in serious matters of this kind to hasten forward the progress of the education of the people means simply the postponement of this violent demolition and the maintenance of that wholesome unconsciousness that sound sleep of the people without which counteraction and remedy no culture with the exhausting strain and excitement of its own actions can make any headway we know however what the aspiration is of those who would disturb the healthy slumber of the people and continually call out to them keep your eyes open be sensible be wise we know the aim of those who profess to satisfy excessive educational requirements by means of an extraordinary increase in the number of educational institutions and the conceited tribe of teachers originated thereby these very people using these very means are fighting against the natural hierarchy in the realm of the intellect and destroying the roots of all those noble and sublime plastic forces which have their material origin in the unconsciousness of the people and which fittingly terminate in the procreation of genius and its due guidance and proper training it is only in the simile of the mother that we can grasp the meaning and the responsibility of the true education of the people in respect to genius its real origin is not to be found in such education it has so to speak only a metaphysical source a metaphysical home but for the genius to make his appearance for him to emerge from among the people to portray the reflected picture as it were the dazzling brilliancy of the peculiar colours of this people to depict the noble destiny of a people in the similitude of an individual in a work 
which will last for all time thereby making his nation itself eternal and redeeming it from the ever-shifting element of transient things all this is possible for the genius only when he has been brought up and come to maturity in the tender care of the culture of a people whilst on the other hand without this sheltering home the genius will not generally speaking be able to rise to the height of his eternal flight but will at an early moment like a stranger whether driven upon a bleak snow-covered desert slink away from the inhospitable land you astonish me with such metaphysics of genius said the teacher's companion and i've only a hazy conception of the accuracy of your similitude on the other hand i fully understand what you have said about the surplus of public schools and the corresponding surplus of higher grade teachers and in this regard i myself have collected some information which assures me that the educational tendency of the public school must right itself by this very surplus of teachers who have really nothing at all to do with education and who are called into existence and pursue this path solely because there is a demand for them every man who in an, an unexpected moment of enlightenment has convinced himself of the singularity and inaccessibility of hellenic antiquity and has warded off this conviction after an exhausting struggle every such man knows that the door leading to this enlightenment will never remain open to all comers and he deems it absurd yea disgraceful to use the greeks as he would any other tool he employs when following his profession or earning his living shamelessly fumbling with coarse hands amidst the relics of these holy men this brazen and vulgar feeling is however most common in the profession from which the largest numbers of teachers for the public schools are drawn the philological profession wherefore the reproduction and continuation of such a feeling in the public school will not surprise us just look at the younger generation of philologists how seldom we see in them that humble feeling that we when compared with such a world as it was have no right to exist at all how coolly and fearlessly as compared with us did that young blood build its miserable nests in the midst of the magnificent temples a powerful voice from every nook and cranny should ring in the ears of those who from the day they begin their connection with the university roam at will with such self-complacency and shamelessness among the awe-inspiring relics of that noble civilization hence ye uninitiated who will never be initiated fly away in silence and shame from these sacred chambers but this voice speaks in vain for one must to some extent be a greek to understand a greek curse of excommunication but these people i am speaking of are so barbaric that they dispose of these relics to suit themselves all their modern conveniences and fancies are brought with them and concealed among those ancient pillars and tombstones and he gives rise to great rejoicing when somebody finds among the dust and cobwebs of antiquity something that he himself had slyly hidden there not so very long before one of them makes verses and takes care to consult hesychius lexicon something there immediately assures him that he is destined to be an imitator of aeschylus 
and leads him to believe indeed that he has something in common with aeschylus the miserable poetaster yet another pierced with the suspicious eye of a policeman into every contradiction even into the shadow of every contradiction of which homer was guilty he fritters away his life in tearing homeric rags to tatters and sewing them together again rags that he himself was the first to filch from the poet's kingly robe a third feels ill at ease when examining all the mysterious and orgiastic sides of antiquity he makes up his mind once and for all to let the enlightened apollo alone pass without dispute and to see in the athenian a gay and intelligent but nevertheless somewhat immoral apollonian what a deep breath he draws when he succeeds in raising yet another dark corner of antiquity to the level of his own intelligence when for example he discovers in pythagoras a colleague who is as enthusiastic as himself in arguing about politics another racks his brains as to why oedipus was condemned by fate to perform such abominable deeds killing his father marrying his mother where lies the blame where the poetic justice suddenly it occurs to him oedipus was a passionate fellow lacking all christian gentleness he even fell into an unbecoming rage when tiresias called him a monster and the curse of the whole country be humble and meek was what sophocles tried to teach otherwise you will have to marry your mothers and kill your fathers others again passed their lives in counting number of verses written by greek and roman poets and are delighted with the proportions seven to thirteen equals fourteen to twenty-six finally one of them brings forward his solution of a question such as the homeric poems considered from the standpoint of prepositions and thinks he has drawn the truth from the bottom of the well with hana and kata all of them however with the most widely separated aims in view dig and burrow in greek soil with a restlessness and a blundering awkwardness that must surely be painful to a true friend of antiquity and thus it comes to pass that i should like to take by the hand every talented or talentless man who feels a certain professional inclination urging him on to the study of antiquity and harangue him as follows young sir do you know what perils threaten you with your little stock of school learning before you become a man in the full sense of the word have you heard that according to aristotle it is by no means a tragic death to be slain by a statue does that surprise you know then that for centuries philologists have been trying with ever-failing strength to re-erect the fallen statue of greek antiquity but without success for it is a colossus around which single individual men crawl like pygmies the leverage of the united representatives of modern culture is utilized for the purpose but it invariably happens that the huge column is scarcely more than lifted from the ground when it falls down again crushing beneath its weight the luckless whites underneath it that however may be tolerated for every being must perish by some means or other but who is there to guarantee that during all these attempts the statue itself will not break in pieces the philologists are being crushed by the greeks perhaps we can put up with this but antiquity itself threatens to be crushed by these philologists think that over you easy-going young man and turn back lest you too should not be an iconoclast indeed said the philosopher laughing there are many philologists who have turned back as you so much desire 
and i noticed a great contrast with my own youthful experience consciously or unconsciously large numbers of them have concluded that it is hopeless and useless for them to come into direct contact with classical antiquity hence they are inclined to look upon this study as barren superseded out of date this herd has turned with much greater zest to the science of language here in this wide expanse of virgin soil where even the most mediocre gifts can be turned to account and where a kind of insipidity and dullness is even looked upon as decided talent with the novelty and uncertainty of methods and the constant danger of making fantastic mistakes here where dull regimental routine and discipline are desiderata here the newcomer is no longer frightened by the majestic and warning voice that rises from the ruins of antiquity here every one is welcomed with open arms including even him who never arrived at any uncommon impression or noteworthy thought after a perusal of sophocles and aristophanes with the result that they end in an etymological tangle or are seduced into collecting the fragments of out-of-the-way dialects and their time is spent in associating and dissociating collecting and scattering and running hither and thither consulting books and such a usefully employed philologist would now feign to be a teacher he now undertakes to teach the youth of the public school something about the ancient writers although he himself has read them without any particular impression much less with insight what a dilemma antiquity has said nothing to him consequently he has nothing to say about antiquity a sudden thought strikes him why is he a skilled philologist at all why did these authors write latin and greek and with a light heart he immediately begins to etymologize with homer calling lithuanian or ecclesiastical slavonic or above all the sacred sanskrit to his assistance as if greek lessons were merely the excuse for a general introduction to the study of languages and as if homer were lacking in only one respect namely not being written in pre-indo-germanic whoever is acquainted with our present public schools well knows what a wide gulf separates their teachers from classicism and how from a feeling of this want comparative philology and allied professions have increased their numbers to such an unheard-of degree what i mean is said the other it would depend upon whether a teacher of classical culture did not confuse his greeks and romans with the other peoples the barbarians whether he could never put greek and latin on a level with other languages so far as his classicalism is concerned it is a matter of indifference whether the framework of these languages concurs with or is in any way related to the other languages such a concurrence does not interest him at all his real concern is with what is not common to both with what shows him that those two peoples were not barbarians as compared with the others in so far of course as he is a true teacher of culture and models himself after the majestic patterns of the classics i may be wrong said the philosopher but i suspect that owing to the way in which latin and greek are now taught in schools the accurate grasp of these languages the ability to speak and write them with ease is lost and that is something in which my own generation distinguished itself a generation indeed whose few survivors have by this time grown old whilst on the other hand the present teachers seem to impress their pupils with the genetic and historical importance of this subject to such an extent that at best their scholars ultimately turn into little 
sanskritists etymological spitfires or reckless conjecturers but not one of them can read his plato or tacitus with pleasure as we old folk can the public schools may still be seats of learning not however of the learning which as it were is only the natural and involuntary auxiliary of a culture that is directed towards the noblest ends but rather of that culture which might be compared to the hypertrophical swelling of an unhealthy body the public schools are certainly the seats of this obesity if indeed they have not degenerated into the abodes of that elegant barbarism which is boasted of as being german culture of the present but asked the other what is to become of that large body of teachers who have not been endowed with a true gift for culture and who set up as teachers merely to gain a livelihood from the profession because there is a demand for them because a superfluity of schools brings with it a superfluity of teachers where shall they go when antiquity peremptorily orders them to withdraw must they not be sacrificed to those powers of the present who day after day call out to them from the never-ending columns of the press we are culture we are education we are at the zenith we are the apexes of the pyramids we are the aims of universal history when they hear the seductive promises when the shameful signs of non-culture the plebeian publicity of the so-called interests of culture are extolled for their benefit in magazines and newspapers as an entirely new and the best possible full-grown form of culture whither shall the poor fellows fly when they feel the presentiment that these promises are not true where but to the most obtuse sterile scientificality that here the shriek of culture may no longer be audible to them pursued in this way must they not end like the ostrich by burying their heads in the sand is it not a real happiness for them buried as they are among dialects etymologies and conjectures to lead a life like that of the ants even though they are miles removed from true culture if only they can close their ears tightly and be deaf to the voice of the elegant culture of the time you are right my friend said the philosopher but whence comes the urgent necessity for a surplus of schools for culture which further gives rise to the necessity for a surplus of teachers when we so clearly see that the demand for a surplus springs from a sphere which is hostile to culture and that the consequences of this surplus only lead to non-culture indeed we can discuss this dire necessity only in so far as the modern state is willing to discuss these things with us and is prepared to follow up its demands by force which phenomenon certainly makes same impression upon most people as if they were addressed by the eternal law of things for the rest a culture state to use the current expression which makes such demands is rather a novelty and has only come to a self-understanding within the last half-century that is in a period when to use the favourite popular word so many self-understood things came into being but which are in themselves not self-understood at all this right to higher education has been taken so seriously by the most powerful of modern states prussia that the objectionable principle it has adopted taken in connection with the well-known daring and hardihood of this state is seen to have a menacing and dangerous consequence for the true german spirit for we see endeavours being made 
in this quarter to raise the public school formally systematized up to the so-called level of the time here is to be found all that mechanism by means of which as many scholars as possible are urged on to take up courses of public school training here indeed the state has its most powerful inducement the concession of certain privileges respecting military service with the natural consequence that according to the unprejudiced evidence of statistical officials by this and by this only can we explain the universal congestion of all prussian public schools and the urgent and continual need for new ones what more can the state do for a surplus of educational institutions than bring all the higher and the majority of the lower civil service appointments the right of entry to the universities and even the most influential military posts into close connection with the public school and all this in a country where both universal military service and the highest offices of the state unconsciously attract all gifted natures to them the public school is here looked upon as an honourable aim and every one who feels himself urged on to the sphere of government will be found on his way to it this is a new and quite original occurrence the state assumes the attitude of a mystagogue of culture and whilst it promotes its own ends it obliges every one of its servants not to appear in its presence without the torch of universal state education in their hands by the flickering light of which they may again recognize the state as the highest goal as the reward of all their strivings after education now this last phenomenon should indeed surprise them it should remind them of that allied slowly understood tendency of a philosophy which was formerly promoted for reasons of state namely the tendency of the hegelian philosophy yea it would perhaps be no exaggeration to say that in the subordination of all strivings after education to reasons of state prussia has appropriated with success the principle and the useful heirloom of the hegelian philosophy whose apotheosis of the state in this subordination certainly reaches its height but said the philosopher's companion what purpose can the state have in view with such a strange aim for that it has some state objects in view is seen in the manner in which the conditions of prussian schools are admired by meditated upon and occasionally imitated by other states these other states obviously presuppose something here that if adopted would tend towards the maintenance and power of the state like our well-known and popular conscription where every one proudly wears his soldier's uniform at regular intervals where almost every one has absorbed a uniform type of national culture through the public schools enthusiastic hyperboles may well be uttered concerning the systems employed in former times and a form of state omnipotence which was attained only in antiquity in which almost every young man by both instinct and training thinks it is the crowning glory and highest aim of human beings to reach such a comparison said the philosopher would be quite hyperbolical and would not hobble along on one leg only for indeed the ancient state emphatically did not share the utilitarian point of view of recognizing as culture 
only what was directly useful to the state itself and was far from wishing to destroy those impulses which did not seem to be immediately applicable for this very reason the profound greek had for the state that strong feeling of admiration and thankfulness which is so distasteful to modern men because he clearly recognized not only that without such state protection the germs of his culture could not develop but also that all his inimitable and perennial culture had flourished so luxuriantly under the wise and careful guardianship of the protection afforded by the state the state was for his culture not a supervisor regulator and watchman but a vigorous and muscular companion and friend ready for war who accompanied his noble admired and as it were ethereal friend through disagreeable reality earning his thanks therefore this however does not happen when a modern state lays claim to such hearty gratitude because it renders such chivalrous service to german culture and art for in this regard its past is as ignominious as its present as a proof of which we have but to think of the manner in which the memory of our great poets and artists is celebrated in german cities and how the highest objects of these german masters are supported on the part of the state there must therefore be peculiar circumstances surrounding both this purpose towards which the state is tending and which always promotes what is here called education and surrounding likewise the culture thus promoted which subordinates itself to this purpose of the state with the real german spirit and the education derived therefrom such as i have slowly outlined for you this purpose of the state is at war hiddenly or openly the spirit of education which is welcomed and encouraged with such interest by the state and owing to which the schools of this country are so much admired abroad must accordingly originate in a sphere that never comes into contact with this true german spirit with that spirit which speaks to us so wondrously from the inner heart of the german reformation german music and german philosophy in which like a noble exile is regarded with such indifference and scorn by the luxurious education afforded by the state this spirit is a stranger it passes by in solitary sadness and far away from it the censor of pseudo-culture is swung backwards and forwards which amidst the acclamations of educated teachers and journalists arrogates to itself its name and privileges and meets out insulting treatment to the word german why does the state require that surplus of educational institutions of teachers why this education of the masses on such an extended scale because the true german spirit is hated because the aristocratic nature of true culture is feared because the people endeavour in this way to drive single great individuals into self-exile so that the claims of the masses to education may be so to speak planted down and carefully tended in order that the many may in this way endeavour to escape the rigid and strict discipline of the few great leaders so that the masses may be persuaded that they can easily find the path for themselves following the guiding star of the state a new phenomenon the state as the guiding star of culture in the meantime one thing consoles me this german spirit which people are combating so much and for which they have substituted a gaudily attired 
locum tenens this spirit is brave it will fight and redeem itself into a purer age noble as it is now and victorious as it one day will be it will always preserve in its mind a certain pitiful toleration of the state if the latter hard pressed in the hour of extremity secures such a pseudo-culture as its associate for what after all do we know about the difficult task of governing men that is to keep law order quietness and peace among millions of boundlessly egoistical unjust unreasonable dishonourable envious malignant and hence very narrow-minded and perverse human beings and thus to protect the few things that the state has conquered for itself against covetous neighbours and jealous robbers such a hard-pressed state holds out its arms to any associate grasps at any straw and when such an associate does introduce himself with flowery eloquence when he adjudges the state as hegel did to be an absolutely complete ethical organism the be-all and end-all of every one's education and goes on to indicate how he himself can best promote the interests of the state who will be surprised if without further parley the state falls upon his neck and cries aloud in a barbaric voice of full conviction yes thou art education thou art indeed culture End of section six